Hey, good morning, everybody. It is Pastor Randy here with Made Free Church. Um, <coughs> what a beautiful morning. Yesterday, I got to go to Catalina with my guys, and it was so awesome. And uh, we went out there and had a good time yesterday and got a new coffee mug. Um, I, I collect coffee cups, so. But anyway... Uh, it, it's it's just been an amazing morning. Get with God. I hope you guys uh, pushed your clocks forward. We're now in daylight savings time here, and on the west in California and stuff. So, guys, what we we serve an amazing God. This morning's church service, and we're going to be talking about Martin Luther's text, right? And this is we're going to be in Romans. Chapter 1, verse 17, and that's kind of what we're going to focus on. Uh, but a couple announcements before we get started. Let me turn on some music here real quick. There we go. Um, before we get started, guys, if you guys need prayer, please go to madefreechurch.org. We have a whole intercessory prayer team that is set up that prays over your prayer request for... Um, the whole entire week. So go to madefreechurch.org. There's a prayer request tab, guys. Go there and um, submit your prayers right there, okay? I mean, seriously, uh, we love to pray. We're a praying church, and that's what it is. So, and guys, if you guys would like to support Made Free Church in any way, shape, or form, please, there's a giving tab on our website, you can give three ways. You can give through our cash app. You can give through our PayPal link. Or you can send a check or money or the address that's provided on the website. We are a 501c3 nonprofit church. So please leave your email addresses so we can send you a tax deductible receipt. I want to say this because I want you guys to know none of the pastors or staff here at Made Free Church make a salary from what we do. We do this all because we love Jesus and we love preaching the word of God. Also, guys, we are looking for pastors, ministers, and preachers uh, and evangelists out there that are, you know, online and that are preaching online. We have set up PreachCore, uh, which is an online platform to showcase um, preachers, ministers, pastors, uh, you know, evangelists, uh, street preachers, stuff like that. And we'd love to showcase your stuff. This is a new website that we created. It's called PreachCore.org. Go check it out, okay? Anyways, let's get into our text. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before you. We just want to say thank you for your words. Thank you for this time. Uh, Lord, get me out of the way and let your words and your text come through, Lord. We just love you. We worship you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, if you guys like to comment, go ahead and comment. I will see them. Um, be going through my notes and stuff like that. And I will, um, you know, uh, uh, respond to those as well. All right, so let's get into our text, right? In uh, 1920, an English preacher named Frank D. Warham published a book of sermons on the great Bible text. In each case, he linked a Bible text to the history of great Christian men and women that he, and, and he called this book Texts That Made History. An example of the text that made history was, was David Livingston's text, uh, on Matthew uh, 28, 20. And it says, uh, Surely I am with you always to the end of the age. This was a great 
uh, uh, encouragement for David Livingston as he preached the gospel in the heart of Africa where no European had ever been before. John Wesley's text was Zechariah 3.2. Uh, it is not man, it, it is not this man's a burning, snit, uh, a burning stick snatched from the fire. The reason this tax was so significant for John Wesley is because as a young child, he was dramatically rescued from his home, which was on fire. There are 23 sermons in this book, and Borman published more than four more similar books on the, in, in his lifetime. All of the texts that are associated with the lives of great Christians, none is so clearly associated with one man as Romans 117. And of course, the man's used text that I'm speaking about is Martin Luther. And Romans 117 says, For it is the gospel, for in the gospel a rights a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is faith, is by faith from first to last, just as it's written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, you know, I purposed uh, that the study of Romans 117 is from the standpoint of Martin Luther's life. The last, body, the last Bible study that we noted that Romans 116 through 17, there was a theme verse of this important letter. We studied these verses showing the eight reasons why Paul could say, and all true believers can continue to say that they are not ashamed of God's gospel. And today, I want you to see the outworking of the of that gospel in the life of, of Martin Luther. In the in, in the Covenant Church, uh, the Covenant at uh, the convent at uh, Erfurt, Martin Luther began his academic uh, uh, studying uh, study by, by studying law, which his father desired to do. Although that he excelled in his studies and gave every person becoming successful in his profession, Martin Luther was troubled in his soul and greatly agitated at the thought of one day that he would have to meet God and give account for his life, bef uh, life before him. In his boyhood days, he had looked at the following face of Jesus in the stained glass window of the, tr uh, of the parish church at Mansfield, and he trembled, right? And, and his friends died. And, and during his college days, two of his friend, closest friends died. And uh, Luther trembled even more. One day he would die. And he didn't know when. And he didn't know. He, and he knew that he would have to stand before Jesus. And, would, and he would judge him. August 17, uh, 1505, Luther suddenly left the university and entered the monastery of Augustine Hermits at uh, Erfurt. He was 21 years old and he entered the monastery and later he said not to study theology but to save his soul. See, in those days in, in the monastic orders, uh, there were ways by which the seeking souls were directed to find God and Luther with the determination and force that characterized his entire life gave himself rigorously to the Augustinian plan. He fasted, he prayed, he devoted himself to menial tasks. Above all, he adhered to the sacrament of penance, confessing even the most trivial sins, 
and for hours on end until his superiors wearied of this of his exercise and ordered him to stop confessing until he had some sin worth confessing. Luther's Luther's piety gained him the reputation uh, reputation of being the most exemplary of monks. Later, he wrote uh, to the Duke of Saxony. He says. I was indeed a pious monk and followed the rules of my order more strictly than I can express. If I ever a monk could obtain heaven by his monkery, I should certainly have been entitled to it. Of this, all friars who have known me can testify. If it had continued much longer, I would have carried my mortification even to death by means of my watchings, prayers, readings and other labors see luther found no peace through these exercises the monkish wisdom of luther's day instructed him to satisfy god's demand of righteousness by doing good works but what works thought luther what works can come from a heart like mine how can i stand before the holiness of my judge with works polluted in their very source. See, Luther's in Luther's anguish with God, he sent him a wise spiritual father by the name of John Sputitz, the vicar general of the congregation. Sputitz tried to uncover Luther's difficulties. Why are you so sad, Brother Martin? Sputitz uh, asked Luther one day. I don't know what will become of me, replied Luther. And then Sputitz uh, said to Luther, more than a thousand times have I sworn to our holy God to live piously, and I have never kept my vows. Now I swear no longer, for I know that I cannot keep my solemn promises. If God will not be merciful towards me for the love of Christ and grant me a happy departure when I must quit this world, I shall never with the aid of all my vows and all my good works stand before him, I must perish. The thought of divine justice terrified Luther and he opened up his fears to the vicar general. And Spitz knew where he himself had found peace and pointed out to the young man, why do you torment yourself with all these speculations? Look at the wounds of Jesus Christ to the blood that he shed for you. It is there that the grace of God will appear to you. Instead of torturing yourself on the account of your sins, throw yourself into the Redeemer's arm and trust in him, in the righteousness of his life and in the atonement of his death. Do not shrink back. God is not angry with you. It is you who are angry with God. Listen to the Son of God. But how could Luther do that? Where could he hear the Son of God speak to him as Spuditz said he would? In the Bible, said the vicar general. So it was there, Luther, who had only first seen a Bible in his college days shortly before entering the monastery, began to study scripture. He eventually studied Romans and as he pondered over the words of our text, the truth began to draw drawn uh, on him. 
the righteousness that we need in order to stand before a holy God is not a righteousness we can attain by our own effort. In fact, it is not human righteousness at all. It is the divine righteousness and it comes becomes ours as a result of God's free grace. Our part is merely to receive it by faith and live by faith in God's promise. See, guided by this new light, Luther began to compare scripture with scripture. And, and as he did, he found that the passage of the Bible that formerly alarmed him now brought him comfort. In his chapter of Luther's, checks, uh, of Luther's text, Borman described a famous painting that represents Luther at the stage of his pilgrim, the setting of the early morning in the monastery library in, in Erfurt. And the artist shows uh, Luther as a young monk in his early 20s, poring over a copy of the Bible from which a bit of broken chain is hanging. The dawn was, was stealing through the lattice, illuminating both the open Bible and the face of the eager young reader. And on the page of the young monk is carefully studying the words, the righteous will live by faith. See, in 15 yet, in the year 1510, five years after he had become a monk and two years after he became, began to teach the Bible at the University of Wittenberg, Luther was sent to Rome. And on the way, while being housed in the, the Benetton Monastery in, in, Bola, in, in Bologna, uh, Luther fell dangerously and relapsed into a gloomy de dejection of spiritual matters that was so natural to him, right? J.H. Merle, uh, I can never say these, these, these hard names. It's a, a, a booting a great 19th century historian of the Reformation wrote, To die thus far from Germ Germany in a foreign land, what a sad fate. The distress of mind that he had felt at Earth returned with renounced force, renewed force, excuse me. <clears throat> the sense of his sinless tr sinfulness troubled him. The prospect of God's judgment filled him once more with dread, but at the very moment that these terrors had reached the highest pitch, the words of St. Paul, the righteous will live by faith, reoccurred forcibly in his memory and enlightened his soul like a ray from heaven. See, Luther was, was learning to live by faith, which is what the text is, was teaching. Comfort and eventually restored to health, he resumed his journey across the hot Italian plains to Rome. Luther had been sent to Rome on church business, right? But in spite of this, he approached an, the, the ancient imperial city as a visiting pilgrim, where he caught the sight of Rome on his way south. He raised his hands in ecstasy, claiming, I Greet thee, O holy Rome, thrice holy from the blood of the martyrs. And when he ar arrived, he began his rounds of the relics, shrines, and churches 
he listened to superstitious tales that were told to him. And at one chapel, when told the benefits of saying mass, he thought that he could almost wish his parents were dead because he could have assured them against purgatory by his actions. Yet Rome was not the center of the light of piety that Luther imagined. At this time, the mass, which which the body and blood of Jesus Christ through, uh, were thought to be offered up to the priest by the sacrifice for sin, was the center of, of Luther, Luther's devotion. Luther performed this, cer- uh, this ceremony with, with solemnity and dignity, it seemed, to require him. And the, but the other Roman, Roman priests, they laughed at his simplicity of this rustic German monk. They told how when they were standing at the altar, they repeating uh, at the altar, repeating the words that were supposedly to transform the bread and, it, and, the, and the wine into the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and said, no doubt with solemn in a nation, panis es et panis menis men bias. Vinium s et vinium membias, which means bread you are, bread you will remain, wine you are, and wine you will remain. Luther could hardly believe his ears. He later wrote, No one can imagine what sins and infamous actions uh, are committed by Rome. They must be seen and heard to be, to be believed. Thus, they are in habit of saying, if there is a hell, Rome is built over it, and in the abyss from which it comes, every kind of sin. Then he concluded, the nearer we approach Rome, the greater the number of bad Christians we meet. Then there occurred the famous incident told many years after Luther's, by Luther's son, Dr. Paul Luther and preserved in manuscript in the Lady of Rolenstaff in the church of St. John uh, Later- Lateran in Rome, where it is set of the stone stairs to have originally been stairs leading the Pilate's house in Jerusalem, once trod by, Jesus, uh, by the Lord Jesus Christ. For this reason, they're called the Scala Scanta, or the Holy Stairs. It was the custom for pilgrims like Luther to ascend these stairs on their knees, praying as they went. A certain intervals were where the stairs, uh, where the stains said that have been caused by the bleeding wounds of Christ. The worshiper would bend over and kiss the steps, praying a long time before ascending painfully to the next ones. Remission for years of purgatory was promised to all who would perform this supposedly pious exercise. Luther began as others had, but as he ascended the staircase, the words of our text came forcefully to his mind. The righteous shall live by faith. They seemed to echo over and over again, growing louder with each repetition. The righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. See, Luther 
was not living by faith, but he was living by fear and his old and the old superstitions, doctrines, and the new biblical theology wrestled within him. By fear, said Luther. By faith, said the Apostle Paul. By fear, said the scholastic fathers of the medieval Catholicism. By faith, said scriptures. By fear, said to those who agonized beside him on the staircase. And by faith, said God the Father. At last, Luther rose up from the steps, which he had been dragging himself and shuddered at the superstition and folly. Now he realized that God saved him by the righteousness of Christ received by faith. And he was to exercise that faith, receive that righteousness by and live by trusting God. He had not been doing that. Slowly he returned, he, he turned on Pilate's staircase and returned to the bottom. And he went back to the Wittenberg in and in time, as the as Paul Luther said, he took the righteous will live by faith as the foundation of his doctrine. That was a real be that was the real beginning of the Reformation. For the Reformation of Luther necessarily preceded the Reformation of Christendom. And the, the latter began in, in October 31st, 1517, with the posting of his 95 thesis on the door at the Castle Church in Wittenberg. J.H. Merle wrote, This powerful text had many mysterious influence of the life of Luther. It was a creative sentence both for the Reformer and for the Reformation. It was, the, it was in these words... God said, let there be light, and there was light. When Luther rose from his knees on Pilate's staircase in agitation and in amazement at those words which Paul had addressed 15 centuries before to the inhabitants of the same metropolitan, the truth, till then melancholy captive, fettered in the church, rose also to fall no more. <clears throat> then when Luther rose to his knees on the steps of, of Scala Scanta he pointed the high, the high point of, of his long career which was his refusal to recant from faith before the imperial diet like the council of worms was, 11, still, uh, was still 11 years away but Luther was already prepared for the challenge he would be ready to defend his position because he saw that man and woman were not able to stand before God by his, his or own accomplishments or righteousness, however devout, still less by the pronouncements of the ecclesiastical councils or popes, however vigorously enforced, but by grace and power of the almighty God alone. And if the person and if a person can stand before God by grace, he can stand. He can certainly stand before men. Luther was summoned uh, before the council by a new elected emperor, Char uh, Charles V. But it was really the Roman Church that had summoned him, and champions of Rome were princes to secure his condemnation. Upon his arrival at town, at the town hall, 
in the room about four o'clock in the afternoon on April 17, 1521, Luther was asked two questions. First, he was asked to acknowledge his writings, a large stack of books that were before him. And second, he was asked to retract his, his, his uh, retract their contents, which called to reform of abuses rampant in the Catholic Church, assert of the right individual Christians to emancipate the priestly bondage and to reaffirm the fundamental doctrine of justification by faith. Luther was asked that asked that the titles might be read out. Then he responded, Most gracious emperor, gracious princes and lords, his imperial majesty has asked me two questions. Also to the first, I acknowledge as mine the books that have been named. I cannot deny them. And as to the second, seeing that the question which concerns faith and salvation of souls and which the word of God, the greatest and most precious treasure, neither uh, either in heaven or on earth is interested. I should act prudently where I to reply without reflection. For this reason, I entreat you, Imperial Majesty, with all humility to allow me, allow me time that I may answer without offending against the word of God. It was a it was a proper request. Um, so, besides, by, by taking a reasonable time to reflect on his answer, Luther would give a stronger proof of the firmness of his stand. Luther was was given twenty four hours to consider his response, right? And when he appeared the next day. The demand was the same. Will you defend your books as a whole or are you ready to disavow some of them? Luther replied by making distinctions between his writings, trying to draw the council into a debate and thus have the opportunity to present the true gospel. Some of his books, some of his books treated the Christian faith in a language acceptable to all men and to repudiate these would be a denial of, of Jesus Christ. And the second category of uh, tax, the errors of tyranny and the, of the papacy, to deny these would lend additional strength to this tyranny and thus be sin against the people. Third class of books concerned individuals and their teaching. Luther confessed that he may have spoken a bit harshly and unwisely, but if so, it was necessary for his adversaries to bear witness of the evil done. Luther said that he would first, he, he would be the first to throw his books into the fire if it could be proved that he erred in these or any of the other writings. And then the moderator says, but you have not answered the question put to you. Will you or will you not recant or retract? And upon this, Luther replied, since your most serene majesty and your high mightiness require from me a clear, simple and precise answer, I will give you one. 
And it is this, I cannot submit by faith either to the Pope or the councils. Because it is clear to me as the, as the day that they have frequently erred and contradicted each other. Unless therefore I'm convinced by the testimony of scripture or by the clearest reasoning, unless I am persuaded by means of these passages that I have quoted. And unless thus rendered my conscience beyond the word of God, I cannot and will not retract. For it is safe for a Christian to speak against his conscience. For is it safe? Uh, oh, excuse me. For is it safe uh, for a Christian to speak against his conscience? Then, looking at those who held his life in his hands, Luther said, ah, "Here I stand. I can do. I can do no other. May God help me. Amen." And so the German word, the German monk uttered the words that would thrill our hearts five over 500 years later. Later in life, Luther wrote many things about the doctrine of justification by faith, which he had learned in Romans 117. And he would call it the chief article from which all other doctrines have flowed. He called the doctrine of justification by faith the master and prince, the Lord, the ruler, and the judge of all kinds, over all kinds of, of doctrines. He said if the article of justification was lost, all Christian doctrines would be lost at the same time. And he argued long, it, it alone begets, nourishes, builds, preserves, and defends the church of God without the church of God cannot exist for one hour. What a heritage. How, how I mean, this is cool. You know, and what a rebuke against the weak state of the present day Christianity. Justification by faith is a doctrine by which the church stands or falls. Our, our contemporary declines and are no doubt due to failure to understand, appreciate, and live by this doctrine. The church of our day does not stand tall before the world. It bows to it. Christians are not fearless before ridicule. They flee from it. The reason not that they have never learned to stand before God in his righteousness. It's not because they've never learned the truth. In Romans 8.31 for it is if God is for us who could be against us. The church will never be strong unless it's united around faithful men and women who firmly hold to this conviction. And I pray that you and I hold firmly and boldly to this conviction and to the, to, this, to the conviction that we are justified by faith alone in the righteousness of Christ alone. Amen. I hope you guys have enjoyed uh, church service this morning. Um, God bless you guys for being here, man. And the guys that are going to be watching and, and on our podcast. And, and I should make a note, if you want to hear uh, on the Reformed Pastor, go to Adam and Christ, click on the, our podcast, and you will see um, our it's stacked for sermon. They haven't separated it, so apologize for that. But if you go to Adam and Christ and look, or something like that, it's stacked or any of it. Um, guys, thank you for being here, man. Thank you for listening on the podcast on um, on Facebook and you know YouTube and you know all the platforms that we're on and 
and stuff. And uh, uh, I want to say this. I do these three uh, segments uh, on TikTok every morning. It, you know, um, and I, you know, quest, different questions have been asked. So I've been answering those questions um, and, and stuff. So I've uh, been taking a lot from different stuff, but it's, it's pretty cool. So uh, tomorrow, guys, we are going to be the, we're going to be talking about the wrath of God. So guys, be here for that. Okay. Guys, I want to thank you guys for being here and listening on the podcast and everything else. Like I said before, God bless you guys. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time and this church service. We love you. We worship you and we praise you. Bless their day. Bless everybody's day to day, God. And we just, we just ask for forgiveness for our sins right now, Lord. And may we live by faith, Lord. So give us that strength in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, you guys have a great day. God bless.